0: Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a cheerful disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Go Seahawks! That's not the Seahawks. You, it was pretty hard to not wear the Browns jersey today. I just want to let you know. So make a little sacrifice. Very excited for the Seahawks as well. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here at OCC today. We're glad you're here, whether that's joining us in person in the room, if you're watching online. And we're going to take a little one-week break from our study in Luke to kind of do a kickoff week couple weeks ago, if you remember, we had our connection fair, highlighting opportunities to get plugged in, to find a way to serve here at the church, find a way to plug in. And and we want to talk about how important that is today. And, And we want to do that periodically throughout the year, just take little breaks to talk about ministry opportunities, service opportunities, because we want really everyone in the church to kind of adopt the same language and philosophy that we use on staff, that we talk about in our leadership group, our ministry council. We want to all be on the same page with this because the reality is we have a pretty clear purpose for all the activities that we're engaging in. When we talk about what our purpose is here at a church, we understand what it is. We want to help people connect relationally. Relational connections, huge, important to us. We understand the most important relationship anyone is ever going to have is the relationship they have with God, right? That's got to be first in the church, We understand that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes through professing faith in God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That vertical relationship we have with him is easily the most important relationship we're ever going to have. But have you noticed, once we secure that relationship, we don't get whisked up to heaven. He leaves us here, right? Well, What are we supposed to do with all these people? We connect relationally with one another. We get these opportunities to invest in horizontal relationships, we walk with folks in our day to day lives. So, that process of connecting with God and connecting with one another, that purpose for this church leads us to our mission. How we want to do church, specifically here at OCC. How do we plan to help people connect relationally? And that answer is even easier for us because honestly, I stole that one. Took it straight out of the Bible. Are you ready for this? Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Jesus gives us our mission as a church. He says this Go, therefore, And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I love this. This isn't just an add-on. This is important. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's our mission here at OCC. We're supposed to make disciples. Now, disciple is a word that honestly scares some people. It sounds so intensely theological. What's a disciple? It's just a follower of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to make followers of Jesus Christ. And did you catch that? Jesus says, we're supposed to do it. We are supposed to make them. Does that sound tricky? Do you know how to make a disciple? Is there a recipe somewhere? Is there a cookbook I can follow? Help us kind of wrap our minds around this mission. I was going to paint just a little picture here. I have on this table some ingredients that I could make something with. Those of you in the back, if you can't see all of them, I got some sugar and some brown sugar and some eggs and some flour, and this one might give it away. I've got some chocolate chips so I could make. Lasagna, right, yeah. So, following along, I see. So, but, but here's the idea. I, with these materials, I could take a decent shot at making some cookies. I'd need a little more help, but, but I've got the materials, right? Back when I used to do Young Life Ministry, one of my favorite activities we'd do all year was we'd send kids out in teams, groups of five or six, and we'd get a bunch of houses planted around the town, and you'd send a group of kids, and they were supposed to show up at a house that would have materials like this out on the counter. And the homeowners had the oven already preheated. It was ready to go. And so these groups of kids were supposed to show up and make cookies and then bring them back to our Young Life Club. And then we'd have a contest. We'd do a little taste-off, see who made the best cookies. So the idea was they'd go, they'd show up, the stuff would be there. The one thing the homeowner couldn't give them was a recipe. (laughs) Kids just had to make the... Ooh, I see you're with me on this. It was... (laughs) Many of the things they brought back were not cookie-like, okay? (laughs) But we had to eat them and go, mmm, that's good, (laughs) and vote for your favorite. And some kids had it. Some kids knew how to do it, but but they didn't have a recipe. And that that part made it really, really hard, right? We always had so much fun with that. But the idea was then we would take the kids who we were discipling in Young Life, the guys who would come to our midweek discipleship program, and we'd lean back into this because everything we did was intentional. We'd say, do you know why we did that? Do you know why we did the cookie thing? Most of them didn't get it. And we'd explain well, because just having materials is not quite enough. You need to know what to do with the materials. If we're going to make anything in this life, we need materials, but we also need some ability, need some knowledge, need some instruction. That's the truth across the board, right? You ever try to make a Lego set without the instructions? <laughs> you can make something cool. You can make something fun, but it won't look like, you know, in my mind, I had this idea the Death Star would look like this. No, no. We need the instructions, right? That's baking. That's construction. That's anything. You have to have raw materials to work with and then some talent, some knowledge, some instructions about what to do with the material. Well, here at OCC, we've got a big, huge pile of ingredients. You ever heard yourselves referred to that way? It's better than sheep, Right? We're a big, huge pile of ingredients, and we've got a big oven, which is this local church where we can cook everything up, but do we have a recipe? And the answer is, we kind of do. I hope that doesn't sound wishy-washy. We kind of do, but the reality is making disciples is a lot trickier than making cookies, because making disciples deals with people. People are not easy. Cookies are pretty easy. Well, I, I shouldn't say they're super easy. I like cookies, as you might tell. And, and I, I know how to bake a pretty good cookie. When I first started out making cookies, I had a recipe, and I don't remember where I stole it from my wife or my grandma or whatever like that, but, but I would add a little bit to it. I'd like to tinker with a little bit because I thought butter is better. Everything with more butter would be better, right? And so I wanted cookies that came out real soft and fluffy, whatever. but I, but I added extra butter. I thought that'd be good. And if you've baked a lot, you know that's not what happened, right? <laughs> but, see, a bunch of folks here idiot. Yeah. The, the cookies came out real flat and crispy, which some people like a cookie like that, but that's not the cookie I was looking for, right? So I had to try and taste test several varieties of cookies. And finally, I figured out what to do. And this is going to come as a great surprise to you. I left the butter out. I replaced it with something else. Do you have any idea what I might have replaced it with? Of course you do. (laughs) Because this is me. I took the butter out, and I added peanut butter. And all of a sudden, my cookies were nice and moist and fluffy. And they were peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. And I had scored, right? (laughs) Just a little bit of tweaking is all it took. I just had to do a little bit of work and adjust my recipe. And so the idea of working with people is we have to be willing to do that. We've got to be willing to tweak a little bit and adjust our recipe. So we do have a clear picture of what this is supposed to look like as we engage in this process to make disciples who make disciples. But we understand it's just basic framework. We might have to tweak a little bit as we go. But that's what these chairs are up here for. Because if we can start to wrap our mind around this, this is the process we use. This is the the recipe that I've always got in my head that the staff has, that the ministry council has, of how we can engage in disciple-making. If we're gonna make disciples, we have to start here in chair one with people who are lost. Now, here's the reality. Sitting out among you, and we're not gonna ask for a show of hands, but let's just be real honest. A lot of lost people don't come to church on Sunday morning, on Monday night. They don't come sit in here. So where are we gonna find lost people? We might find a few of them here. That's fine. We're going to find those in our neighborhood. They're going to be our neighbors. We're going to find those in our workplace. We're going to find that in school. We're going to find that in the gym. People who don't know Jesus Christ. And so what's our responsibility in this recipe to make disciples who make disciples? Here in chair one, we got to share the gospel with them. We have to help them see how important that vertical relationship is. We have to tell them just how much God loves them. We have to explain the significance of the cross. We have to explain that God loves you. He created you in his image, but sin has wrecked that picture. But God has a plan to reconcile that. He sent his son to go to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose. He conquered death. He went into heaven to establish this kingdom that'll never end. We need to be able to share that picture. And if you want to do that by inviting somebody to church, that's great. But if you want to make sure you have a good handle of the gospel so you can share it, that's what we do here in chair one. But the whole idea in chair one isn't just to get this lost person saved, but it's to move them to this next chair because we plan on seeing God continue to move them. They're going to grow as disciples, but they got to start here. They got to move to chair number two. That's where you find believers, folks who put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have the vertical relationship, right? Now what happens? Well, they should want to grow. They should want to mature. And so this is why we do things in the church like have Bible studies have small groups, have one-on-one discipling relationships where we have the opportunity to say, hey, why don't we grow a little bit? Let's study this together. Let's see what God's plan for your life is. It's kind of a step in disciple making. But again, not to stay here in chair two forever. The idea in chair two is that you'd move to chair three. You'd become a worker. Gosh, James, why do you talk so much about opportunities to serve in men's ministry and women's ministry in children's ministry, and student ministry, at gathering grounds, on the worship team, back in the security team, info greeters. It's because we're supposed to work. We're supposed to serve. That's part of our disciple-making process. So we continue pointing to that, trying to show you opportunities to jump in. You see how this could work. There's a lost person at my workplace, and so I invited him to like the men's breakfast we had yesterday. And when they come to the men's breakfast, they get the opportunity to say, hey, would you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, would you like to come serve with me at the next men's breakfast? All these things are intentional. These are the things that are motivating us as we try to join God in this disciple-making process. If you can get somebody to hear, they're realizing, wow, God's kind of put a burden on my heart. And so we'll get somebody from men's ministry. Our buddy Don Rice will circle back and, and take that guy and walk with him. We'll get somebody from women's ministry, Jody Gimlin, Michelle Jenkins. We'll find that woman. And they'll walk alongside them. They don't have to do this on their own. And this passage tells us God is with us too. But this is our recipe. This is the whole idea so that people can move from chair one, chair two, chair three, to land in here in chair four where we're disciple makers. Once we're disciple makers, we can circle back to any one of these chairs at any point in time. If we know somebody who's a worker and they say, well, I like serving in the nursery, but that's about as far as I'm going to go. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> Don't you want to tell people about Jesus? Don't you want to encourage people who are believers to join you in serving? Don't you want to be used by God in this process? It's a big picture, but that's the picture that we're following. And the passage we're looking at today kind of fleshes that out for us. That's why we've chosen Matthew 28 to help us define our mission here. If we're going to make disciples, we have to go back to the beginning and recognize we need material to work with and then some God-given ability to go out and use that material. That's kind of ground zero. I hope that resonates with us as a church. But I understand it's a little bit of a tough sell. We live in a world right now that is really focused on consume much more than it is make, right? So we know we're swimming against the stream here. But, but in this, God wants us to build something, to cre- create something to paint something, to invent something. Every opportunity we get, we have to ask, where did the material come from? And where did the talent and the ability come from? We can steal that from the Bible too. Scripture points us this way. James chapter one, verse 17. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So everything we get in this process comes from God. So if we're going to join him in this process of making this work, we're going to see it's a command that he gives us. We're supposed to engage in it for his glory. Everything comes from him. I love the joke about the evolutionary scientist who went to God and said, God, we don't need you anymore. In science, we figured out how to make people. We can really do this on our own now. You're not needed. We got cloning. We got technological advancements and research, and God was kind of surprised by this. And He said, so you're saying, I can take a break. You don't need me anymore. It's like, no, no, we can make people on our own. So God said, well, why don't we have a little contest? Why don't we have just a people making contest? You against me. We'll invite a bunch of people, they can all watch, put it on YouTube. And, and so the evolutionary scientist, he was real excited about it. He said, okay, you're on. Name a time and a place. And so they show up and there's this big crowd of folks, and, and God is there and he kneels down in the dirt. And the evolutionary scientist is there and he kneels down in the dirt. And God says, I'm gonna say go. And the evolutionary scientist says, I'm ready. And God says go. And the scientist reaches down to get a handful of dirt, and God says, uh-uh-uh, you gotta get your own dirt. Everything we have comes from God. Everything belongs to God. That makes this passage awfully challenging. It says we are supposed to make disciples. And I think we look at that and go, that's so hard. And we just say, I'm going to check out, Pastor James. It's too hard. I can't make disciples. I can barely make cookies. Disciple making is way too big. Now, the problem with that stance is that this is a command in Scripture, (laughs) Even though it's hard, it's not a suggestion, it's his plan for how this whole process is supposed to work, for where we're supposed to engage. This is instruction from Jesus on what we're supposed to do, and not for nothing, he says he's going to be with us. We don't have to do it on our own, praise the Lord. But the reality is, it's important. Disciple-making is something we should not miss. Disciple-making for the local church is honestly, it's like the steering wheel for your car, You ever think about that? You get in your rig and and, the tires are there and they're all aired up and all the belts and hoses and fluid, everything's right, and and you get in the car and you're going to take off but there's no steering wheel? (laughs) Would you press the gas? (laughs) Are you that bold? Because you'd have no idea where you're going, right? That's what discipleship is. It's the thing that steers the church. So if we don't focus on it and if we don't challenge people to do it, then we're cruising along (laughs) without a steering wheel we're missing the most important thing God has given us to help us grow and be the kind of church he wants us to be. And so that's why in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about these four chairs. I had so many people come up after the the nine o'clock service and ask me about ways to plug in and and serve. And I was so excited because I'm picturing them walking through these four chairs. That's the picture that we have from this passage in Matthew 28, from this command Which written in the original Greek language is just the one command, make disciples, but then there are three participles that accompany the command. Did you catch what they were? Go, baptize, and teach. Well, those are the things that we can apply. Those are the things that we can tweak a little bit. They're all part of the recipe. So what do they mean? What is go? Go Go's pretty simple, isn't it? Get moving. Make sure you understand I'm supposed to be in a chair and then I'm not supposed to stay in the chair forever. I'm supposed to help somebody move to the next chair. I'm supposed to move to the next chair. If I find a person who's put their faith in Christ, that's fantastic. they have secured a spot in heaven. What does God want them to do while they're here on this earth? They're not supposed to sit and twiddle their thumbs until Jesus comes back, right? Go is really, really important. It's part of the framework. Go leads us to what? Baptize. How does baptize fit in? Well, baptize is kind of, an explanation of disciple-making. If you guys have been to our River Baptism or any baptism service, somebody who gets baptized has the opportunity to share their testimony. They'll publicly profess faith in Christ in front of a bunch of people who then do what? They get to hold them accountable. Okay, if you're saying you identify with Christ here in baptism, then what does that mean as you join him in this journey? How are you gonna be looking for places where you can grow and serve and care for people and shepherd and, and be equipped and be held accountable? kind of the next step go baptize and then we get to this really tricky one what's the third one teach disciples are called on to teach but what are we supposed to teach and I got to be really honest here what are we supposed to teach and where are we supposed to teach it because that's a pretty important question and how does that literally look different for you than it does for me standing up here on this stage Because in our personal lives, as Christ followers in this world, we should all be looking for these opportunities to teach, to model Christ. We can do it with our words. We can do it with our actions. And I pray in everything we do and everything we say, we are led by God's word. But I guarantee you, as the pastor of this church, I'm going to be held to a higher standard. Scripture tells us that. So for myself, for pastors of churches all around the world right now, this is especially tricky, this command to teach. But in all areas of leadership that God has called me to in this church, I'm making you this promise. I want to be led by God's word. That's my promise to you. You can hold me accountable to that. I always want to strive to be led by God's word. And I need that. Because I have people coming up to me quite often, especially in a week like we had in this crazy fallen world that we live in right now. And they'll come up and say, well, Pastor James, why don't you just stand up and preach that everybody should get a vaccine? Just stand up and say it. Isn't that the most loving thing to do? Consider others before yourselves. Everybody should get the vaccine. Why don't they do that? And then somebody will come and say, Pastor James, why don't you stand up and preach that nobody should ever get a vaccine? As people, we get to make our own choices about decisions like that. And trust me, this kind of thing happens a lot. Pastor James, stand up and preach everybody should wear a mask. No, Pastor James, stand up and preach nobody should wear a mask. Pastor James, stand up and preach that everybody should belong to this political party. No, Pastor James, stand up and say they should belong to this political party and so on, and so on. This is the kind of thing we get. I had a dear friend recently, and I love this guy. I cannot explain to you how much I love this guy. And and I've walked with this guy for years, discipled this guy. And we were having a personal conversation. And he was hot. He was so heated about the things that are going on in this world. And he told me, he said, you should preach this week that all members of this one political party are going to hell. (laughs) It was a fun conversation. It was, <laughs> it was lively. <laughs> we got walking on the dike. It was good fun. Here's what I told him in love, because I do love the guy. I said, do you know why I don't preach that? Because according to God's word, who I vote for doesn't actually determine my eternal destiny. If I would stand up on stage and preach that, I would be knowingly adding to the gospel, and I cannot do that. That would intentionally create division that I am not called to preach about. There's one division, one division only that the church is called to teach about. Do we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, period? That's the one that was illustrated with Jesus and the two thieves on the cross on either side. If you remember those two guys, one of them believed and the other didn't. And Jesus said, I'm gonna see you in paradise. Those two guys had vastly different eternal destinies because of that one choice. That's the division we're supposed to preach. And I cannot preach any other. Now, I have personal opinions about so many of these things that are going on in the world. And if you ask me about them, I'll tell you, but not from up here. That's not the place for this. I believe strongly as Christ followers, we are supposed to be prayerful. We are supposed to be faithful. We're supposed to be as informed as we can be. And then we go out and teach with our lives. We live our lives honoring these decisions that God leads us to in all these practical areas. Who am I going to vote for? how will I obey the government? When will I obey the government? When will I rise up in civil disobedience and disobey the government? And church, the answer for that one from what I can see in God's word is still when they ask me to disobey God. But I have to choose where's that line? We get to make those kind of decisions for ourselves. My family had to make one this week that impacts us greatly because we have three kids in college. We have to make those decisions. But if I'm gonna stand up here and knowingly create disunity knowingly create division over issues that are not salvation issues, I I, I can't do it. I won't do it because God's word is my guide. That's where I'm getting this stuff. Apostle Paul lived in a, a weird, strange world just like we do right now. And many folks came and gave Paul, I think, some opinions. They thought they were wise. They thought they had the right answers for how to deal with the problems of the world. I think they were literally trying to get in Paul's ear. Hey, Paul, why don't you say this in church? Why don't you teach that in church? Paul, include this in your next sermon. Why? Because I feel really strongly about this. Do you know what Paul told those folks? This is clear as day to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, by the way, had tons of sexual sin struggles. They had real issues. I'm sure they were in Paul's ear. This is what he told them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, he said, when you ignore what I'm trying to say and you follow what you want, you're not gonna know God. He says, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What foolish message was he preaching? The gospel. It's gonna become abundantly clear here in a couple of verses. For indeed, Jews asked for signs Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach. What does he preach? Christ crucified. Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To Gentiles, it's foolishness. Church, we can't miss this. Paul, preach about this. No, Paul, preach about that. Paul says, I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm going to point to the crucifixion because that is the one division where the church is called to make a stand. We are the one place where folks are supposed to be able to come and be assured they can hear about Jesus. I got a passive aggressive message this week on Facebook aimed at me, highlighting the fact that pastors who don't preach about the coronavirus every week are avoiding that topic out of fear. A person sent me an article basically calling me a coward because I don't preach about the coronavirus. I can't speak for all pastors on this, okay? I can only speak for me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I don't preach about the coronavirus because it's not the thing I'm called to preach about from this stage. This stage, this sermon, it's supposed to be about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, period. Now, folks who want to hear a message that they like, folks who want to hear a message that will resonate with them about their particular take on a narrative that's going on in the world they know exactly where to go to hear that. They know exactly which news source is going to tell them that. They know which podcast to subscribe to. If they're looking for confirmation bias, if they want to feel better about what they believe, they know exactly where to go to get it. But that's not supposed to be from the church. The church is supposed to point to Jesus. Now seriously, if I... (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this. If I would throw out the Bible in order to abuse that position and stand up here and preach against things that I don't like, where would we get our Bible teaching? Are we gonna go pursue it on our own? Seems like we might be too busy scrolling the news sites that we agree with. Again, out of the teaching about Jesus that we get from here, out of the things we learn from God's word, as informed Christ followers, we can, we should have spirited dialogue about why we believe what we believe about issues in the world. We should be equipped to have those conversations. But from up here, I gotta point to Jesus. Paul confirms this, okay? He's making a disciple named Timothy. Timothy winds up becoming the pastor of the church that met in Ephesus. If you study that process of disciple-making, as we learn some things about Timothy, I think Timothy was a little timid. I think Timothy was the kind of guy who would listen to people if they came out in his ear and said, hey, Timothy, you should preach this or Timothy, you should preach that. So what does Paul tell him to teach? Hey, Timothy, talk about how to make people feel better on some hot button issue that's not salvation. No. Paul tells Timothy how to disciple people, how to equip them to live as Christ followers in this life. You ready for this? This is what Paul said. He said, Timothy, <laughs> preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. I've had people that I really love after they left the church tell me, you know, Pastor James, normally I like the way you teach. I really do. Man, I like the way you taught. Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But in this weird time that we're living in right now, shouldn't you have stopped preaching through the book of Luke and just start preaching politics every week? Well, what does God's word say about that? Just preach the word when in season and out of season. Why? Because of what we see in the next verse. Because of what we saw at the church in Corinth. People who've already made up their mind about a certain subject, they want me to stand up here and preach something from the Bible that they can drag out of context and place alongside to support their position. That's not how the Bible is supposed to work. The Bible gives us our position. And then we are supposed to go out and take that and live it in this hostile, fallen, depraved world. We're not supposed to get that backward. If we get it backward, Paul warns us what we're looking for. We won't have our ears tickled. This is what he tells Timothy. For the time will come when they, the people in the church in Ephesus, will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want to hear teaching from the Bible anymore. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire. They'll leave this church and they'll go find a church where someone will preach about which political party is right. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Church, if you want to run me out of here and replace me with a person, I wouldn't be able to call him a pastor. Pastor is supposed to shepherd. Pastor is supposed to care for people. Pastor is supposed to want... want the best for people. But if you would want to replace me with a person who will preach politics, preach some divisive issue that is not salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus, you can do that. But you'll be looking to have your ears tickled. Church, I take the position I take on teaching because I have promised you many times standing up here that in my role as your senior pastor, I'm going to let God's word guide me in what I'm supposed to be teaching you because it is the local church's job to make sure we are all getting taught from God's word. Why? So that we can go out and be equipped to live these horribly dangerous, difficult lives right now. We've got decisions that we have to make that are hard, and we want to be guided from God's word. That's tough to do. And I'm positive that's why Jesus ends this passage, this notion of go, baptize, and teach, with a reminder that we don't have to do it alone. That's what I love about the end of verse 20. He says he's always with us. We'll be in this together with Jesus. So once we as Christ followers have been taught from God's word, what are we supposed to do? Engage. Go jump into the world. Figure out which chair we're in and start moving to the left, right? How do we do this? And I get it, it's so hard. And you're saying, Pastor James, I get it, okay? It's It's a literal command from Jesus, make disciples. That's God's plan to reach the whole world. I still can't do it. It's just too hard. Not so fast. Go back to the beginning. Making is simply about materials and ability. Materials and knowledge. Both of those things are given from God. We're supposed to make disciples of who? Jesus Christ. Is it overly simple to say, what do we need to be doing then? Just follow Jesus Christ. If we're not following Jesus, we can't be disciple makers. If we are following Jesus, I don't care how immature we are, we can be disciple makers. We could have been one day out of chair one, sitting here in chair two, and we could reach back and find somebody in chair one and disciple them. Because we're one step beyond where they are. That's all it takes to be a disciple maker. Just be that one step ahead of that person. And then both of us have to commit to staying on the path. Both of us have to commit to following Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus, and you follow me. I'll mess up every now and again, probably pretty often. But when I do, I'll be transparent and go, yeah, that wasn't it. Don't don't do that. You actually needed to do this different. And that's how we'll do this together. And God is with us. He's doing the heavy lifting. He's drawing the people to himself. We just need to go out and find materials. We just need to go out and find some people who want to be discipled and then use those talents, those gifts that God has graciously given us I want to try something. I tried this in the nine o'clock service and it worked pretty darn well. I can be pretty confident in this. I normally don't ask you to raise your hands on stuff because you know, most times it's kind of hypothetical. But, but I can ask this one. If you've ever in your life thought, man, I wish somebody who was one step ahead of me would circle back around and walk with me. I wish somebody who was two steps ahead of me, I wish somebody who was 10 steps ahead of me would circle back around and help me figure out how to do this stuff. If you've ever thought in your life, gosh, I'd love to be discipled, would you raise your hand? Keep it up. Take a look around. I'm not saying you walk out of the service and walk straight up to somebody on this. Please pray about this, but... (laughs) But I guarantee there are people you'd walk up to in this room and say, would you like to be discipled? And they would jump at the chance. And that's just here. That's just in this room. Imagine your workplace. Imagine the gym. Imagine your school. Folks who would die to have somebody pouring into them that way. Pray about this. The materials are out there. Then it's just a matter of figuring out how God wants to use me. How am I supposed to engage in this disciple-making process? Because there will be some tweaks. There will be some adjustments. You can sub peanut butter in. It's fine. It's not a cookie-cutter thing. He's going to use the special things he's placed in us to do that. I guarantee it. But make is what we're supposed to do. Here's how the Bible instructs us in using the gifts. This is from Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. God gave some as apostles. He gave some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Dear Lord, why? Why? for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we, you ready, all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a mature woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Scripture says we got the vertical relationship right. We get at least one spiritual gift, at least one that we're supposed to go use in ministry, to build the body, to bring God glory. This list in Ephesians isn't exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. Whatever spiritual gift we have, we're supposed to use that as we go make disciples. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, I will give thanks to you, God. I'll give thanks for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You ever think, man, I'm just a little off. I'm a little weird, I'm a little quirky. No, fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. You were intentionally crafted by God. I'm intentionally crafted by God, fearfully and wonderfully made, so that when I go out to make disciples, I can use the stuff he's given me. I've been hardwired to do it. So I don't have to truly go out and figure out how to make disciples on my own. God's with me, and he's already hardwired the stuff in me. If we have a relationship with God, we can do it but we need to connect relationally. When Jesus came to the earth, he did that. He was relational. He was personal. That's what the text says. I am with you. Because he wanted folks to grasp we're not in this alone. You don't have to come up with the ability on your own. Because if there's any way, we could make disciples by ourselves anyway. I've been involved in lots of ministries, and I have a little bit of heart where I've met a lot of folks here in chair one, and I love that. I love the church. God has called me to the church. But, but lost folks aren't wandering in here all the time. I love to engage with lost people. I've heard so many of them say, well, I don't, I don't go to church. I don't follow Jesus. I don't believe in God. And they'll say this so much of the time, because all religion is, is just a bunch of rules. You heard that one? It's God telling you to do this. God telling you to do that. So, somehow they've fallen into this trap that, that a relationship with God looks like Simon says. It's a big game of Jesus says, right? ever play that game? I used to love Simon Says. when little kids, they're so easy to get out. It's fun. We used to play in Young Life, and there'd be big groups. There'd be 150 kids. Were like that. And you could get a lot of the kids out with Simon Says, stand on one foot, whatever. But, but it was so great. After a few would start to peel out, you'd have a big group. I could get everybody out, because I'd just say, okay, everybody, you're too far apart. Everybody moving together. And everybody, like, lemmings, they'd all I was like, you're all out. <laughs> so much fun to play that game. But, but that's not the picture, right? We've messed up on this. Some people have made Christianity like Simon says. Jesus says to pray, and so I pray. Jesus says to serve, I don't really want to, but I serve. Oh, but then I looked at this thing on the internet, I wasn't supposed to, and Jesus didn't say that. I'm out. Seriously? Is that how we think it looks? Jesus says is not a good model for what a relationship with Christ looks like. Matthew 28 is a good model. Jesus being with us. Jesus walking with us through this hard world we live in, through joys, through sorrows. That's the model right there. So as we go and obey this command to make disciples, we're gonna have to be following Jesus ourselves and then just pouring into someone else's life as they follow us, as we follow Jesus. So we shouldn't be overwhelmed by this instruction to make disciples. It should make us dig in and be closer to God ourselves. This is the application part. This is what I'm talking about when I say we teach from God's word up here so we can go apply it in our lives. Because honestly, that, that leaves us with some pretty hard questions. How does this work? Well, yeah, yeah, I've accepted Jesus as my savior, right? I know he saved me. I couldn't do it myself. He's my savior, but do I follow him? Am I his disciple? When the opportunity comes in my life to make a hard choice, do I say to him, well, sure, I believe you, Jesus. I'm counting on you for heaven, but man. I really can't be a follow of yours while I'm here on this earth because let's be honest, some of your followers are kind of weird. <laughs> Have you seen them when they sing? They raise their hands. I went into the store the other day and I saw this fat guy wearing Seahawks jersey. He was praying for somebody in public. I wouldn't want to join a small group with him because they're probably going to ask me to share about my sins and my struggles. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be transparent with them. I trust you, God, but let's just keep that between you and me. Is that what Matthew 28 looks like? Is that what our relationship with God is supposed to look like? What if we've moved one step beyond that? Okay, Jesus, I believe you. I trust in you that I'm going to heaven. I'll even go to one of your churches. I'll give up an hour on a weekend, but I can't be involved in all that ministry stuff. I'm pretty busy. I got a job. I got a mortgage. I got a bunch of kids. They all play these sports. I like to go hunt and kind of unwind. I got a lot of things to do. So I'm gonna take a pass on using that spiritual gift you've given me to make disciples. (laughs) I'm gonna take a pass on using that gift you've given me to serve people in this hurting world, but I'll still show up on the weekends. I'm really looking forward to that heaven thing. Is that how we're gonna make disciples? You know, the method Jesus chose was actually really formal, super formal. It may not sound that way, but it was. The method he chose was an invitation into relationship. And he used it over and over and over again. Do you know what it was? Yeah, you do. Follow me. Follow me. It's not like Simon says, when I mess up, I'm out. No, there's gonna be consequences when I mess up, but I get to keep playing. I get to keep following Jesus. Our job as disciples is to make. It's to recognize the material around us and to keep following Jesus ourselves. Just use the talents, the gifts, the resources he's given us to go and make disciples, to go and baptize them and then to go church and teach them to obey what? Everything that Jesus commanded and then have them go do the same thing over and over and over again. So what are we making today? What are we making this fall? What are we making, I pray, the rest of our lives until Jesus comes back? Disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I love you guys. Let's pray. Daddy, help us to be the kind of Christ followers you want us to be. This is a huge challenge. But the challenge is a command from your word. It's what we're supposed to be doing. So God, can you help us get that picture in our mind for what that would look like if we would engage with a, a lost friend of ours or a workplace? We would engage with a believer who says, I don't want to really come to that men's breakfast. And we'd say, would you come? And and let's find a way for you to, to grow in your love for the Lord. Maybe we'll say to him, hey, you don't have to come to the breakfast. Maybe you and I can go meet and have coffee, and we'll just talk about what God's doing in this world, in your life. God, can we look for opportunities to serve and join where those are and use the gifts you've given us? not in a way where we'd get any glory, God, but where you'd get all the glory. Can we move from chair one to chair two to chair three and land in chair four where we can come back and be disciple makers with anybody that you put in our path? God, we can't do it on our own. We know that. But as we follow you, as we're committed to you, as we're devoted to you, that is the picture for your church. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.